Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Today, we originally planned to have a grill corner with uh, our man LB's Greg, which we still do have. But before that, uh, we had an emergency podcast with our friend Chase Parham about Tarpgate as Ole Miss was awarded a win over Louisiana Tech in the second game of midweek series on Wednesday afternoon due to a technicality. If you've been living under a rock, Ole Miss was winning the game 4-3, to three, entering the seventh inning. Louisiana Tech scored two runs to go up 5-4 to four in the top of the seventh. The game was delayed due to lightning and ultimately was not able to be completed. Because of the rule, uh, Ole Miss was awarded the win because you go off the last completed inning. So Ole Miss technically wins the game 4-3. to three, And it's as if the seventh inning in which Louisiana Tech took the lead never happened. Uh, but that has now spawned some sort of controversy about the TARP. Uh, delaying tarp being an issue with a lightning delay. So anyway, without getting too far into it, we talked about that, the idiocy of uh, Louisiana Tech's stance on the situation. Uh, Lane Burroughs uh, not understanding weather among what seems like a lot of things he may not understand and just the stupidity of the whole situation. So enjoy about 35 minutes of a podcast talking about a tarp. We also hit the Hunter Elliott injury news and then Grill Corner with my man LB's Greg. Great show, buckle up. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you, podcast brought to you by skybox sports picks who is skybox sports picks well glad you asked the world's best gambling handicapping website the inventors of the skybox matrix interval and advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry if you're into wagering you need to use skybox it's the only way to profit in the long run they crushed it in nfl and college football this year college basketball is their bread and butter as that their model absolutely murders it particularly on totals um, in college basketball, hitting well over 65% on the year. You need to check them out. They have a picks package to fit your price range. All you got to do is go online to skyboxsportspicks.com. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can go with the year-long all-access pass. You can do it one sport-centric. You can do all sports. Whatever it is, they're going to have something to fit your price range. Buy the package. Type in the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off, save you some cash. And boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were before using Skybox. They'll send you... Daily picks in an email spreadsheet color-coded by unit, and you will be more equipped to profit than you were before you bought it. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrites.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me as well as discounted meats. That's Right now it's a three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets. For 20 bucks, that's about a $40 valuation you're getting there for 20 bucks. Hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Just go in, show Greg proof of subscription, and he'll get you set up. Then go find all your own favorites. There's all kinds of delicious sausage, seafood. I like the tri-tips. Filet burgers are always awesome. Go find your own favorites at LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is our guy, Chase Parham on Tarpgate. All right, we now welcome on... My dear friend, colleague, Chase Parham, Ole Miss baseball beat writer, tarp beat writer. Um, I didn't intend to have you on this podcast. This is not really a planned thing. I texted you about, I don't know, five, six hours ago. Um, I had a grill corner that will play after this that I was going to issue for the Friday podcast. But this tarp situation was just too funny to me to go without discussion. And given that you were at the game, I, I had to get your take on it. So, I guess we'll just get right into it. What so 
I don't know. Give me the scene from last night. Like what, what, what was your vantage point of the game being called? Um, one thing I don't miss about the industry is definitely baseball midweek weather delays. So um, commend you for sitting through that. But what happened? So it's a pretty normal baseball game. And Ole Miss is a weird team right now because their bullpen is is struggling. They don't have a lot of arms. And because they have eight games in 10 days, Mike is trying to manage the bullpen where he doesn't use up anybody before getting to Minneapolis over the weekend. So it looks even more a little haggard and beleaguered than it probably is in other instances. So it's it's just a normal baseball game. Ole Miss is winning four to three in the uh, after six innings. Ethan Groff hit a hit a home run in the fifth to put Ole Miss ahead. The Rebels have been scuffling a little bit, but they got the lead back. You knew the weather was coming. They had moved the game from four to three. That probably wasn't going to be enough, or if it was, it was it just hit the game, you know, just as it ended. And then in the top of the seventh, they got after Mitch Morrell, got after maybe Braden Jones. I, I forget because it ended up not existing, so I don't have a box score where it tells me who was in the game or what was going on at the time. Louisiana Tech takes the lead. They go up 5-4. to four, And at 5.34 p.m., so two hours and 30 minutes after the game began, there was lightning within eight miles of Swayze Field. That pulls everybody off the uh, off the playing surface. And from that point, for – the next two hours, it just kind of lightning. And every time there's lightning, you know, it takes 30 more minutes every time there's a strike. And where this gets goofy and where we're going with this is that, and I said this to Neil this morning, there was rain, but it was very light. It was mild. It wasn't causing any puddling. Even the warning track had no puddling. There was no issue from rain whatsoever. If anything, the playing surface was better after the little bit of rain than it was beforehand because, you know, they do like water down the field before games. That's pretty normal. So at no point was the rain important here. They put a tarp over the mound and the plate, which is what they do when you have any kind of delay at all. And then they reported at seven, they were going to do, they're going to do a restart at seven forty-five. So we think we're going to get back started at seven forty-five. about seven thirty-five. There's another lightning strike. So that pushes it to 8.05, 8.10. And at that point, around 8 o'clock, the bottom fell out. And it did not stop raining until sometime around 4.30 this morning. So it went for hours and hours and hours. Because of the NCAA rule, because of just the baseball rule in general, the way it works is you revert back to the last full inning instead of 5-4 La Tech. It was 4-3 Ole Miss. And the Rebels win the win the game. Lane Burroughs loses his mind. He's frustrated. He's talking to – it was a New Orleans TV guy, NBC affiliate from New Orleans, that had the video with Lane Burroughs right after the game when he, you know, starts off with just being frustrated. And I get the frustration. It's at Sunbelt Team or Conference USA or whatever the hell La Tech is now. And they had a chance to sweep the defending national champions in a midweek. It was very important for their RPI and they lost that opportunity. I get being annoyed. There's no doubt anybody would be annoyed. But where he lost me is today, he says it's right? – Do what? Go ahead. Sorry. No, but today yeah. is what got me up. Anyway, finish. Well, but it keeps going. He go, he starts off with Ole Miss refused to put the tarp out. And then Louisiana Tech releases an official statement from their athletic department that says Ole Miss at no point in the two hours put the tarp out. And it's like I'm taking crazy pills here for two reasons. Number one, the rain was not an issue until the rain kept going for 12 hours. They could have put 10 tarps out at 10 p.m. last night, and nobody was playing baseball. It was coming – like we needed an arc. It was coming a monsoon overnight in Oxford. 
But prior to the game being called, the rain was no factor whatsoever. So unless you had a net to catch the lightning, there was nothing anybody could have done. Lightning is a very normal college baseball thing that stops games. And it's like they just got they, – they threw a temper tantrum. It was like a child throwing a temper tantrum. It really is. It's not, it's not uncommon for La Tech, frankly. You know, they, they've gotten into it with LSU before, where if you look at LSU's schedule this year, LSU plays basically every in-state team possible but La Tech. There's a reason for that. Go look at LSU's schedule. They play Southern and Grambling and McNeese. They just – yeah, yeah, it's always something. You're always getting disrespected if you're La Tech. They always have some sort of issue. So – it's a big deal last night. Their rival site jumped in and had this weird bastardization of events that was not true. I countered that. Um, the rival site who was not attending the game? just, just That is correct, that. yes. Okay. They, yeah, so they would yeah, know yeah, what yeah. happened because they weren't there, right? Yeah, they said that Ole Miss uh, chose not to put the tarp out in a rainstorm, which is what prevented the game from, from, from continuing at that point. Yeah, not true. Um, and then today it continues – the associate athletic director for La Tech puts out a tweet talking about, hey, we we won on the field and all this stuff. It's like, oh, okay, it's the way the rule works. And then Lane Burroughs this afternoon, which is where you're going to, he writes or he he tells the Fox New Orleans guy that uh, as long as he's the head coach at La Tech, he will never play Ole Miss again in the regular season. So that's where we are. I'll let you kind of go from here. But my, my favorite part of that is, like that affects Ole Miss. Okay, yeah. <laughs> we'll move on. Well, you mean if you're Ole Miss, you just go play somebody else. Lot, it's what's so dumb about causing issues with old, with LSU or Ole Miss. Lot Tech needs no, those games t- far better than they do. Yes, you mentioned the tantrum. It's a child cutting its nose off despite its face. Like it doesn't make any sense. So where I was going with that next is like my issue with the Burroughs thing was to. Today and honestly, I know I had texted you before I saw the uh, the Burroughs radio hit or whatever he did today. But I was just going to talk about it for a second and kind of the weird situation. And I was probably going to spare Burroughs from uh, roasting him for just sheer idiocy because even though what he said last night didn't make a ton of sense, I understand him being frustrated at the situation. No and he's a coach that has just exited a pretty competitive environment. And as you've seen many a times, you know, these athletes, you get them before they have any sort of cooling off period. And honestly, I kind of feel bad for them in some instances after tough losses and stuff, having to address the media. It's a lot tougher in professional sports, but after they've just kind of, you know, been embarked on this feat or whatever, now they're having to process their thoughts without any sort of time to really reflect on it. So despite Burrow's argument last night in the dugout, not making any sense, I was still going to give him a pass because my God, through the years, how many times after a loss has Mike Bianco gotten mad at you or me or whoever yeah. else or mad about something that didn't really actually have anything to do with anything? But you're like, I get it. He's pissed. They're fresh off a loss. But going on a radio station today and continuing to perpetuate this complete <laughs> farce and saying you're not going to schedule a miss is just absolute lunacy to me. And either he's completely emotionally incompetent in terms of how to manage his emotions or he's just a remarkably stupid individual. Because I do you not know how weather works. I'll give you my vantage point from this game. I'm working for when the game starts. I have it on kind of in the background at my office. I'm watching mm-hmm. bits and pieces of it when I get home. And then I actually missed part of the fifth and sixth inning because I wanted to go get a run in before the weather came. 
So I go run. It starts sprinkling when I finish up the run. About 20 minutes after I get back to my house, that's when the lightning strike happens, I guess, and they delay the game. So I'm like, okay, so it's coming. This makes sense. I'm like, I'm not really sure how this is going to get in. But throughout the time of the delay, I, of course, have still people texting me, like, when are they restarting as if I have any idea from, you know, sitting on my couch how they're going to restart this game. But I was texting a couple of folks in Jackson, and I was like, yeah, it's not raining a ton. So I would imagine this is all like one of those 30-minute on top of 30-minute on top of 30-minute lightning delay deals where every time you add 30 minutes to lightning strike. so Because it really wasn't raining hardly at all. There was a drizzle. Mm -hmm. There was probably a little, you know, little bit stronger than a mist for about a 20 minute period because it maybe cut the run short but outside of that there really wasn't much um rain on the uh, in the for or not in the forecast happening at that moment and so then from what i understand as you outlined earlier they were going to come back on the field and restart this sucker at 7:45. well i see that announcement at 7:15, and then at about 7:17, uh, my car gives me a tornado warning uh, <laughs> notification. So I'm like, I don't know how this is about to work. And guess what happens? About 30 minutes later, I would assume mostly after the Burroughs meltdown, that's what makes the Burroughs dugout meltdown so stupid, is I'm assuming while that's happening, it still hasn't rained yet. So he's ranting about a tarp covering up a field that would have otherwise remained dry. Again, I'm going to give him a pass for it. But to the next day after you've cooled down, I would assume rational human beings, I'm assuming Mike has done this at some point in his career, was like, ah, you know, I was a little hot-headed yesterday. I probably shouldn't have said that. No big deal, but whatever, and moved on with your day. No, this guy's still at it 24 hours later. He went on a radio show and said he's not going to schedule a miss, which what does that accomplish beyond just admitting either you know that this is a farce and you're going to play it up just for whatever, or you're just a remarkably dumb person who doesn't understand weather. I don't know which one it is. Yes, if you don't play Ole Miss, Ole Miss will simply go play ULM or ULL or Tulane, and that's fine. Their their, their day is not, not different in any way what, whatsoever from that capacity. And look, he, here's what – I can't get anybody at La Tech to slow down for a minute to just stop being offended for 30 seconds to listen, is that here is the best part of this. If Ole Miss put the – and look, okay, A, it's not Ole Miss. Once the game starts, it's the umpires. The umpires decide if the tart goes out, if the game is stopped, if the game resumes. Mike doesn't get to go out there and halt play and go, nope, we're going to put the tarp out right now. That's not how it works. The umpires do that. So had they done that, had they put the tarp out, that would have been good for Ole Miss. It would have taken longer to take the tarp up. It would have taken longer to get the field back ready. By not putting the tarp out, they gave La Tech at least a modicum of a hope of a chance to play the rest of that inning or play the rest of that game. It, it is the lunacy beyond lunacy is if they would stop for a minute and go, had Ole Miss put the tarp out, the game was going to be over at that point because there was going to be no way to get the lightning out there and then take the tarp up and then play. Because here's the other thing. Once the tarp goes down, you cannot take the tarp out up, back up if it's still raining. And on top of that, who puts the tarp out in college baseball? Spoiler alert, there's no grounds crews. Who's putting the tarp out? The, the players are trying to get off the field for safety purposes. So you're going to leave them on the field longer to put a tarp out when it has yet to rain in any sort of significant capacity. None of it makes any sense. And again, I understand Burroughs being frustrated. It's a terrible I want to I don't know if I should call this a terrible rule. It's a terrible situation because if there's any sort of like justice in this situation, La Tech probably should be awarded the win. I get that that's not the rule, 
But like, if, well, here's the problem, though. I mean, it, it's as fair as anything because it's also not fair to not give the other team an at bat. And no, go, no, you're right, you're right. But if you, you scored runs in a way screwy. that's whatever, if it's just, but if you're talking less screwy, if the rule was okay, the game just ends where it is. Ole Miss probably feels pretty sore about it. But to go back and reverse a score and basically delete an inning in which you had the tying run and the go ahead run, that feels like like a bigger screw job than Ole Miss not getting it at bat. I, I, and I get that part of it. And it's important for La Tech. They aren't going to get many opportunities like this. You know, they, the win on Tuesday may loom large for them. I don't know what their chances are of making the NCAA tournament. You know, they've been, it's a program that's been in the hosting conversation. I actually believe hosted a regional two years ago, 21, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. And it's a very good program, and Burroughs is a good coach. So I understand why this matters to them. I understand why they would want to do whatever they can to try to make it work. But you just got screwed by Mother Nature. And to continue to perpetuate it into something, it's not getting the athletic department involved. I couldn't believe that a Division One athletic department put a statement out basically just perpetuating this false narrative about how they got screwed Knowing full and well it did not rain, knowing that no one has any control over the lightning. I don't know if they want to ban Zeus from the games because he supposedly controls the lightning, if I got my Greek mythology correct. But, like, having an actual athletic department put out a statement about how, like, things weren't decided on the field is mind-boggling to me. And it uncovers a level of lunacy that's like A&M cult-like. It's like, what is wrong with you people? It, it, here's the deal is they have an ultimate chip on their shoulder as an institution. Plus like this weird superiority complex at the same time, they didn't want to be in the same league as ULM or some of those teams, you know, it, they've sort of been up there in an Island a little bit and rusting by themselves. But even beyond that, here's the deal. Lane Burroughs, had he come out and said, look, I'm very, very frustrated. I hate it ended this way. And if I'm going to be critical of something, I'm being critical that we didn't move up the game up earlier beyond three o'clock. That we did, we knew rain was coming. Why didn't we play the game at noon or one or whatever instead of three? Look, there's logistical reasons why that is still hard to do. It is hard to play a game in the middle of a school day during a midweek as opposed to moving up a Saturday or Sunday. It's just it's it's different logistically. Frankly, thinking that that's possible shows a lack of understanding of concession workers and security and everybody else that has to be involved and in, in, in affected in a large way. But if he had he come out and said that, you at least could make that argument and go, hey, you know what? If Ole Miss really wanted to play this game, they could have played at noon, could have played at yes. one. We could have gotten this thing out of the way. I get that. And that would have been fine if we all moved on. It's when you get into the nonsensical stuff that, again, you're either doing one of two things. I mean, it's kind of the stupid or liar thing. Or, is, or, or are you stupid or are you a liar? is he's either perpetuating to his fan base and trying to work them up and do this rallying cry and do this whatever, or there's a reason he's at La Tech, one or the other. Because, look, I mean, it's the truth. Don't it's, you think it's, it's the deal latter, though, I, I get the mid-majors. I get the mid-majors have, like, a different sense of what they need to do for respect. But, and I don't mean just Mike, but I'll use Mike in this instance. If it goes the other way and had they been in Ruston, there's no way in hell Mike would have gone on air and criticized the umpires or the tarp in that situation. It would not have happened. Tim Corbin would not have done later, that. And I don't think the athletic department would have put out a statement basically saying, and even if you wanted to go, you know, the you mentioned the route of rallying your fan base up, kind of playing into the chip on the shoulder. There's more rational avenues, as you just outlined, they could have taken to that. You could have said Ole Miss was ducking the game if they wanted to move it up, you know, to mm-hmm. one. You know, they could have and we could have. We were already here. The umpires were already here. You can make that argument. 
And if you want to debunk the nefarious nature of that, which obviously, as you outlined, there's really no nefarious nature of that. There's been curious decisions in the past. I know Mike's favorite topic is weather. But, I mean, how many times through the years have you looked at a radar, they've moved a game up, and you've been like, well, why are they doing it this way? Because, uh, you know, I'm no meteorologist, but my weather app says, if you know, you moved it up an hour, that's not going to change anything. Why not move it up four or vice versa? And I get that there's other factors that go into it. But even if you wanted to play in that, or if you wanted to play it into the slightly less nonsensical nature of we'll just come back another day and finish it off, you could probably get away with playing up that conspiracy theory because, I don't know, there's at least the, you could string it out and it sort of kind of makes sense, even though there's really no logistical possibility in any way that anyone would ever bring a school back to play two innings of baseball or three innings of baseball on a Tuesday midweek game. Yeah, the SEC goes, yeah, let me go pay umpires to come back for 2.1 innings. But that has a shred of coherent sense in it. The the route yeah. they chose doesn't make any sense. You're basically just denying reality. I don't even know how to. I'm just thinking of shit on the fly here. But if you're a conspiracy theory guy, you know, you could say multiple shooters at the JFK thing. Or um, I don't know that, that that the mafia was involved. But, like, the route they chose is, like, um, I remember when I lived in Dallas, there was a group gathered at that uh, AT&T Square who believed mm-hmm. that John F. Kennedy – junior or whatever one of the sons is never actually died and he was going to show up back there um that day and announce trump's bid for re-election that actually happened last summer that's quite yeah that's the type of thing they're going for like they're basically just denying that the jfk thing ever happened like it's just it's so far outside the realm of reality it kind of makes you question your own sanity because it's like i that's the question and i'll close on this it's like do you think burroughs actually believes that or do you think like I don't know? Like I, originally, I'd be like, ah, he's probably just playing into it. But to to fe- to sit on that for twelve hours to sleep, and then to go on a radio show and continue to perpetuate it to the point where you're saying you're not going to schedule or miss anymore is mind boggling me to the point of he might just actually just not like be that smart and might actually believe what he's saying. I do believe that he believes they were mistreated on a couple different angles, being they had no ability to come back at any point and that the game should have started earlier. The problem was that he was so emotional, he went down the tarp path and then refused to act like he was wrong or pull back from it, and he just stayed down that path that was incorrect at that point. Because, yeah, again, look, maybe in his head he's using – if I gave him every shred of benefit of the doubt, it wasn't that the tarp would have fixed the problem it's that by putting the tarp down, Ole Miss would have shown an effort that they were trying to prolong and try to get the game in. Does that kind of make sense in a dumb way? Like, I mean, yes, sort of. It's almost like a gesture. It's almost like doing the thing where you know it doesn't work, but you're just trying something to look like you're trying something. But it's the exact inverse opposite of what actually would have helped him play the game. But I wonder if that's where he's gone in his head is, well, had they done that, it at least would have looked like they were trying. I get that. But he's sitting there doing that as he's looking out onto a field that is still dry while he's holding those two TV microphones, knowing it hasn't rained yet. That's just the there part. There was no puddles. Not one. Last thing on this, and it's almost unfortunate in a way that Ole Miss is playing a road series this weekend. But if you were to have – now, by the time they get back home and you guys talk to them again, it will be you know old news, probably not worth bringing back up. But just say they played a home game like two days later. How would you approach – Asking Mike about the Lane Burroughs comments in this situation. I mean, I think it's still news valued. I mean, it's a team on your I hope you ask, is saying 
a better way. What do you think he'd say? What What do you think he'd say? Do you think he'll Do you think he'll take the high road, or do you think he would? Lay I it? think the answer is I've known Lane for a long time. I know they were very disappointed. I understand that it's a very emotional thing when they had a chance again for a big win. Um, we've always respected their their program. You know what I mean? Like he would basically avoid the question. It would be the we've always really respected their program and blah 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 blah. As opposed to some coaches would go, okay, f off. Like I was going to say, like I have a tremendous amount of respect for Mike, but if and when that question ever gets asked, it would grow. (laughs) If he was like, "Who Burroughs? Total dipshit." Just left it at that, (laughs) and just gone scorched earth on him because it's not even it's not even like stooping to their level and being petty. Like if Mike actually did say some version of that, I'm halfway joking here. That wouldn't be stooping anyone's level. That would just be calling it what it is. It's just nonsense. It's also Mike Bianco's job is to win baseball games. The NCAA rule says that they win the game if they don't play. Why is it Mike's job to do anything to give you more effort to win the game? His job's to put W's on the board. Which is That's probably it. not his mindset either. It's not like he was like, oh, yeah, we don't want to play this. Like, that's but, you know, look, 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 deep down, you know, and I don't know what he did, but you know when the umpires had the head coach meeting or whatever, I, you know, when the game's over and or when they're calling the game and the umpires are going, hey, look, we're out, we're calling it, that's it, we're not going to get games in. You know, Lane may have been yelling and screaming or whatever. You know deep inside Mike had to, like, turn around and went, oh, get a load of this dipshit. You know what I mean? Like, as he yeah, walked like- off and be like, okay, fine. Like, all right. I'm I'm out. If Ole Miss ends up hosting and you get La Tech in the regional, if they play, I would like for there to be a tarp on the field until literally the last warm-up pitch is thrown. Let the guys warm up with the tarp out there, and then you take it off right before the guy steps into the batter's box, and then you just stare at him for a second. That would be my counter to all So l- let me ask a prediction. Does Ole Miss play La Tech in the regular season the next couple of years, or is it official? Do you think it's it's actually over? Well, you would know this better than I do. How does the scheduling work there? Would like I mean, it's very I possible you would already have them planned. I, I don't think. Well, that's actually I hadn't thought about that. How far out is that? Is it like football? Like, do they have non-conference? How does that actually work? The, I don't there know. are the, the non-conference weekends are typically done pretty far in advance, two to three years. I don't know about midweek games. I, I, I'm not sure on that. But Ole, Ole Miss could tell you right now who they have the next two non-conference years for weekends. Okay, my next question is who controls that? Who's making that phone call? Is it is it them reaching out to Ole Miss or vice versa? I would have to think it's Ole Miss kind of, I would say, grabbing that situation by the balls for the lack of a better phrase. Cause they are yeah, because do- you're, try- yeah, you're trying to find home games. So you're either doing home and homes, or you're going, hey, we'll pay you 15 grand or 40 grand or whatever it is to come to come play. As much as I love myself some petty, I would actually it would actually be more of a ballsy move for Mike to continue to reach out and say, hey, do you all want to play next year? And if Lane says no, then that's on, that makes him look worse. That's on him. Other than like you know, I would Mike would be well within his grounds to be like, all right, you say that. No, we're done. We're not scheduled anymore because it screws them anyway. But at least give the opportunity to the guy to actually cut his own nose off despite his face. At least like offer it again because he has to do one or the other. He either has to cut his nose off or play Ole Miss and have to go. Yeah, I was just full of shit. Yes, exactly. I think that's the power move. I think you continue to offer it, and if he says no, congrats. Like, just add another dunce cap to this guy's already growing head of dunce caps. Last thing while I have you here, there was Hey, real quick. No, no, no. Hold on. Would it have to be in Oxford, or would you be willing to go to Ruston? Oh. Would you give them a home game, or do they have to come to you? Because Ole Miss went there in – was that last year? Yeah, this was the return trip. Was the the, the two two years ago. Ruston where they got smoked two years ago or last year? It was two years ago. 
Okay. I'm probably not going back to Rustin. Uh, now, maybe you do it, and maybe you could point out that they don't even have a tarp on the field, and you could get some nice content out of that. But if I'm take, drawing a line in the sand, I'm certainly not going to Rustin again. Yeah. But maybe that plays into their whole thing. Is like, see, they are scared. So maybe you just go do it and pitch your weekend, guys. I, I don't know. that that Having to go back to Rustin seems like a no-win situation. La Tech did throw two of their weekend starters, one inning apiece, over the course of the midweek. They did, so they could kind of justify it as a bullpen day, but my guy needed those outs there, too. Um, yeah, I was actually yeah, surprised yeah. he didn't leave that Friday guy in for a second inning because he looked pretty <laughs> damn good. Uh, <laughs> last thing while I got here, there was some news value to yesterday's shenanigans uh, outside of the tarp gate. Hunter Elliott. Uh, Mike announced that Hunter Elliott has a sprained UCL and mm-hmm. that he will he's already gone through two weekends of not throwing. I believe there will be one more and then like a ramp up rehab mm-hmm. period. Um, I obviously was out of that presser. I don't, I hadn't been able to find it anywhere video wise. What actually happened? Give me kind of the context on the Hunter Elliott update. Yeah. So Hunter had the MRI the Monday after the Delaware game. So he throws on February 17th. He has the MRI on February 20th. He had felt forearm tightness, I guess the 18th, 19th and 20th, three days there leading into the MRI. They sent it off to multiple doctors. I know of at least three. I think it could have been as many as five or six. And that was just smart. And you send it off to a lot of specialists. You try to make sure that everybody sees the same thing. Everybody has some semblance of the same plan of attack on how to on how to treat it moving forward. It appears that everyone came back unanimous with it was non-surgical, which was great news for for Hunter that there was not a tear in the in, in the ligament, that he did not need Tommy John at the time. And then after that, Hunter chose, or Ole Miss helped him, I don't know how that worked, a couple, one or two specialists to go see in person to let them physically examine it, to look at it under their actual hands and eyes. And the same thing was thought at that, that time, too. The plan of attack was to rest, to to do some uh, some ramp-up, some physical therapy, what, however you want to talk about that from a throwing program standpoint. And it's just it's just going to be a slow process. I mean, that UCL is so tender and so important to a pitcher that you have to make sure you don't have any setback because any setback and he's probably out for the season or he is under the knife at that point with Tommy John. So that's why it's that, that's why it's taking a minute. It, it's going to be a very slow throwing program to the point of I don't know. I haven't seen it. I haven't even talked to anybody about this, but just my somewhat educated opinion as somebody who's had Tommy John surgery. It wouldn't even shock me if the last couple weeks to three weeks of his throwing program very much resemble a Tommy John John recovery throwing program those last few weeks where you're you're stretching it out and you're doing some some strength stuff, some long toss. You're really trying to sort of test and fatigue that ligament to make sure there's no residual stuff, nothing that's causing pain, nothing that's causing tightness because you know, look, you, you if you can feel it in warm-ups in any way or if you can make yourself kind of feel that something's wrong, that's much more important and much more relevant than getting in a game and letting it go at 93 miles an hour 62 times and then suddenly you feel it there. So they will do everything they can to go slow. Mike said middle of April, which would be the Mississippi State Series, that is the sixth, the sixth weekend of conference play, I believe if I have that right in my head. April 14th or 16th. It might be the 5th. It's the 5th or 6th conference weekend. I don't remember which one. And uh, I will say this. Mike has a history, and he's admitted that he will sometimes exaggerate recovery periods because, frankly, he doesn't want the media to ask him if everything runs one week behind. He doesn't want the connotation that something's wrong necessarily. Sure. So sometimes Mike will add a week or two to the end of a rehab 
just to give himself a little more space as a program to uh, to be on time, if you will, if you're using quotes. But even so, I, I would not expect Hunter Elliott to pitch in a game in the month of March. And then without any kind of setback, if he's on schedule, I think once we turn it to April, we're within a really short period of time or maybe even at the time for Hunter to, to gear up and, and, and to pitch in an SEC game. Look, it's just going to be a matter of winning enough to kind of salvage it and hang around. I talked to Joe Healy from D1Baseball.com today for hand raise guys, and that first six weeks is so brutal from a scheduling standpoint. Ole Miss plays Vanderbilt, Florida, A&M, uh, Arkansas, LSU, and Mississippi State. Those are the first six weekends for the Rebels. If you get anywhere near 500 from a record standpoint without Hunter Elliott, you completely did your job. You're in really good shape. It's just about salvaging this thing and hanging on because without Hunter, Ole Miss is a pitcher short, maybe two pitchers short. The freshmen have to come along. They've got to figure this thing out. But, you know, look, Riley Maddox is ahead of schedule, too. I mean, there is a world where Elliott comes back healthy, Maddox comes back healthy, and suddenly they're they're one of the top teams in the country. And I'm, I, I don't mean to corner you and ask you to play doctor here, but, like, the definition of a sprain is a partially torn ligament and wherever mm-hmm. it is. I know it's most commonly the ankle. And – Look, I don't think if they to- showed it to that many specialists, he got examined in person. If surgery were actually the best course of action, I think that would have already happened, right? Because you don't want to delay it or whatever. Like they're never Hunter going Elliott to- would be under the knife had anyone said that was the the best course of action because Hunter Elliott does not have to throw another pitch at Ole Miss to have a very cemented legacy for what he has 100%. done in one season, and his next step is to play professional baseball. So having the surgery right now, if surgery was needed, would actually put him in line to be back and to pitch a little bit next season to show scouts that he's okay for that draft. So no, Hunter would never put that in jeopardy by not having surgery if needed. I think, and and again, this is, this is, this is educated from a Tommy John standpoint, not educated from a Hunter Elliott standpoint. Let me make that clear. I think that what it is describing, and I, 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 we probably need to get some orthopedics to answer this question, but the way I understand it is, yes, a sprain is a partially torn ligament, but I think it's showing that there is a fraying or some sort of injury to the ligament, but it is not an actual separation tear, if that makes sense. Like, it's not something they have to go in there and stitch back together with another tendon or something to strengthen but it's just showing that there is some sort of 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 ailment, some sort of issue with the ligament as a whole. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's kind of what I was getting at, to where it's like obviously at this point, if they'd gotten this many opinions, it wouldn't be one of those things where, yeah, it's a partial tear and you know, we'll bring him back in six weeks, but odds are it's not getting any better and you're delaying the inevitable. I don't foresee like I don't think that's the case at all. Because because to the best of my knowledge, they're not even trying to do the plasma platelet therapy or anything. Exactly. Exactly. Which is kind of like that 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 treatment to me, look again, I'm not a doctor and I'm not trying to sound like one. That to me, in a lot of cases, seems like putting a band-aid on something that Mm -hmm. needs stitches and it works maybe sometimes, but like not you know, more than half the time it's not really the case. Um, so why it's not as common as like the surgery route. So that's, I think this is best case scenario for Ole Miss. And kind of last thing on this is like, you mentioned the pitching's not great. They won two out of three this weekend without having a starter record and out in the fifth inning. There's been wow. some bright spots with, I mean, look, Doherty went four and he was the longest starter of the weekend by a long shot. And the schedule is kind of getting tougher. And then you mentioned kind of the surviving conference play. What is kind of your outlook on their 
available options for this pitching staff. There's guys that have shown brief moments. I think Takoyan has done some good things. I texted you on Saturday during that game where I was like, damn, this kid looks pretty good. Kind of imploded on him the next inning after that. You can blame that on the jinx. I don't know. JT Quinn looked awesome until it seemed like he got a little fatigued and it kind of went um kind of went sideways for him pretty quickly. What is kind of your outlook on Mike always kind of figures this out. Do you think he has the weapons in the arsenal to figure it out do you get that sense or do you think they just don't have it because honestly there you could make an argument that last year seemed barer in some degrees now i remember distinctly remember josh mallett's pitching in like a 19 to 3 game at auburn and he's like throwing 94 and it's like they're probably gonna have to go back to this guy at some point like i'm glad i kept the tv Mm -hmm. on for this there were signs do you sense they're the same signs or do you think they're in deeper trouble I don't know. I think they have more overall talented arms compared to last season. I think they have freshmen who are immensely talented, who are going to figure it out at some point and be very good SEC pitchers. The question is, is that in 2023 or is that in 2024? And I, I don't know the answer to that. JT Quinn's going to be really good. Sam DeCoyan is going to be really good. Jordan Vera is going to be really good. I like those kids a lot, a ton. We know about Grayson Sonia. He's going to be Grayson Saunier, before he leaves Ole Miss, is going to be an All-American. It just is what it is. He's that talented. He's that good. But where they are today, Mike Bianco has two things about his rotation. He will never give up Friday night to try to back-end it. He just doesn't do that. Some coaches do. Some coaches will just throw somebody in there on Friday to set up better situations on Saturday and Sunday. Mike's not one of those guys. He thinks that momentum is very important. He thinks that Friday sets a tone and a way for the weekend where you're not swimming, you know, back uphill at that point if you get blown out on Friday. The other thing he doesn't do is he doesn't throw freshmen on Fridays for the most part. He does not think mentally they've been through that ringer to have that Friday ball and to do that. I mean, it's happened, but it's very, very rare when that happens. So because of that, it makes Jack Doherty throw on Fridays. Jack's a competitor. He has a good mentality. He's obviously pitched in a national championship game. He's done all these different things that uh that that have shown you he at least has the medal to do this. I'll be honest though, there's part of me that would leave Jack Doherty in the bullpen to see if he could close the game out, to see if he could maybe affect two games in the weekend. Because the truth of the matter is everybody's inexperienced on this team. Everybody has not been in SEC play and been through this ringer except for two dudes. I mean, until Hunter Elliott comes back, this is a stat that I think matters. They have two pitchers throwing right now who pitched double-digit innings last season. That's Doherty it. Doherty Nichols. That's it. Doherty and Nichols are the only two who have pitched anything from that standpoint. So, you know, look, I just think that I, 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 Mike's going to do this. I think Doherty will continue to be on Friday night, and you need him to be an SEC average weekend Friday night guy. And look, that's not a that's not a negative. That's a compliment. If you can be an average ace, that that's what Ole Miss needs from him right now. They need Sonia to kind of get it together. They need a little more length, and then they need Revis just to throw strikes. He can't walk people. His makeup is multiple pitches over the strike zone because even if he gets knocked around a little bit, he has got to give them five innings. They, they're in a mode right now where they really need the, the starters to lengthen out because if the starters are only giving them three and a third, four, that's not enough, and they're just not going to have enough bullpen. If the starters can find a way – to give them four, five, six, well, suddenly you can start piecing this thing together, considering the offense is one of the best in the country. Well, that's what I was going at next is I was going to ask you is like, do you think he keeps the rotation the same? It's not necessarily a freshman going on Friday, but I do think there's a there's there should be given thought the idea of Doherty going back to the bullpen and trying to figure it out with someone else 
on Friday because it's not like Doherty has started in the past or was kind of slated in as a starter and it's a seamless thing. I, I do believe if I have my math correct, I was looking through this every day, Doherty only has like two or three outings in his entire Ole Miss career in which he spanned five innings. Now, it could be starter. I think one of those was probably a relief role. But you need a guy to go five minimum on Friday nights in the SEC to kind of have the typical blueprint formula. And that would be asking Jack Doherty to do something quite literally he has never done in his Ole Miss career. I'm not saying he cannot do it, but I just wonder if you could try to figure that out with someone else. I don't know who that is. Maybe, to your theory, it's not going to happen because there is no someone else. I mean, outside of doing it with Mason Nichols, which wouldn't make a ton of sense. Mike, unless he's going to put a freshman or a younger player out there that's just never done it before, like maybe he keeps it the same because there's no other way. But do you think the rotation is what it is through the entirety of SEC play until Elliott gets back whenever Ooh. that is? Or do you think it changes? My only change uh, would be, do you put Quinn in there if one of the other two guys falters? That would be the only thing I could think of. I pitch... I think I'm right when I say this. I think I would move if yeah if I need to move somebody in the rotation, maybe even to Friday night, knowing that look, you're just trying to get something and try to be much better the next two days. I think JT Quinn makes some sense I, I in the too. rotation. I, I think he's got to make sense because everybody goes, oh, he throws 96, he throws 97, he does all these things, and he does. But that's not why he gets outs. He gets outs because of his breaking ball and his changeup. He's a legitimate three pitch guy. If anything, his fastball is kind of average because it doesn't move the way that a lot of guys get run off that 96, 97 uh, mile per hour, uh, mile per hour fastball. So no, JT Quinn has very much starter makeup. Um, he's probably able to give you 65, 70 competitive pitches right now. It's not perfect, but it's something. But see, that's the problem too. That's not getting you through five innings. They right. just don't really have anyone that can do that. This is a challenge that. Mike Bianco hasn't had this level of challenge outside of last year when it was a scuffle too at times um, since 2015. 2015 is the only year it kind of reminds me of this in some different ways where you're really searching for innings anywhere you can get them. So if you're not going to pitch a kid on Friday night, Doherty's the only option and you're just hoping for the best. But Quinn doesn't set up as a great reliever. He doesn't, he's not a one inning shutdown high leverage guy. I mean, they just, They've got to kind of figure out some roles. You know, Mike wants it to be Mitch Morrell, but from a game action standpoint, that hasn't worked so far. Um, I do think Takoyan has that kind of makeup. I think it'll come on eventually. But right now, their best pitching staff is their offense. They're going to have to score some runs. They're going to put pressure on teams. They're going to have to really, really stress opposing pitching staffs. And then they're going to have to play really damn good defense. Don't make errors. Catch the baseball. Throw strikes. I mean, right now they're just walking too many people. They lead the SEC in walks. And I get the umpires were kind of tight over the weekend, but if you're not going to be dominant, you've got to throw the ball across the strike zone. Make them hit it. Yeah, that's where they are right now. It's going to be fascinating. It makes this weekend fascinating and really the next several weeks, even when the opponents and the competition's kind of down before you get into conference play. It's like, how are they going to manage this? Last big J note I'll leave you with. Can you figure out what's up with Morell's hat? I haven't seen this. What is it? So his blue hat that he wears, the red one looks like he got a brand new one. I don't know if you noticed this. The blue one looks like it's been through a war. It's it's so faded that it almost looks like a different shade of blue. And I, I do think Ole Miss has money in the budget to get my So man. is it last year's hat and it's like superstition? That's I, I need you to find stuff like this out. I don't understand. He came in the game last Friday or Saturday 
And I was like, I don't understand. Did this guy not get the memo? Did he forget his uniform? Derek Diamond style? What's up with this hat? You can tell the sweat lines pretty deep. It's like that lucky hat you had when you had were a kid that you never wanted to take off. But it's like a different shade of blue. I, I'm not hating on it either one way or another. I would just like to find some answers because the red one is not that way. His red one's totally fine. I don't know what the deal is, but notice it next time. Like the guy's got a faded blue hat and everybody else is wearing navy. So if you could report that the next time we do this. I feel like we probably can get that answer. We can work on that one. I feel good we, about it. Please do. I, I would like it in a somewhat expedited process, but I, we we can hang on pins and needles in the meantime. He is Chase Parham. We've kept you up past your bedtime. It's almost 8 p.m. Have a great night's sleep, and we'll talk to you soon. I right, appreciate it, bud. And that was Chase. Appreciate him making some time to discuss the important issues uh, in the world right now, such as covering a tarp to not cover rain but repel lightning, among other things. We're going to get to uh, Grill Corner with LB's Greg here right now. So we took a lot of questions from the message board. We recorded this last Wednesday. I know some questions came in later. So if you got those in past about 7 p.m. last Wednesday, we probably did not get to yours. So apologies on that. But I do have them saved for the next time we do a Grill Corner because uh, we like to accommodate the people on this podcast. So uh, if you're one of the ones listening and your question doesn't get answered, I do apologize. It's just a recording thing. Uh, from a timing standpoint. But uh, here is LB's Greg on pretty much anything you could ever want to cover from a grilling standpoint. All right, we now welcome on the man himself, Greg the Meat Sharp Jones. Go check out LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Everyone listening knows what LB's is at this point. If you haven't made a trip by, you are literally just missing out on a staple of the town. It's been a while since we chatted. I think we did a bowl pick um a couple yeah, months got, ago. That's about engaged. it. You got engaged? I did, and uh, more most notably from that weekend, I met Bob Baffert. Uh, so I've, I've told some variation of this story on the pod before, so not to get too repetitive, but this part I haven't told was like after the engagement thing, um, we uh, we were in Hot Springs, and like the whole lie was that uh, MC's dad was got his box tickets or breeders club or whatever, that jockey's club tickets at Oakland. And that was just the lie to get everyone there. But he actually got the tickets because like, whatever, we're up there. Why not go? I'd never been. So I texted you some picks for Saturday because I one, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And two, you know, lose 20, 30 bucks a race or whatever, and just have a nice time with it for the most part. So I'm texting you and uh, you nailed the first race. We won huge on that and basically just kind of coasted from there. But about halfway through, I was like, you think Baffert's coming? And they had another race going on at uh, Stream Song, I believe it's called, down in Florida. And you're like, no, no, he's probably going to be down there. But in Gulf the last Street. race, Gulf he Street. needed one horse Gulf. to qualify for the Kentucky Derby or the Arkansas Derby or something. So all of a sudden, this guy in transition lens looking glasses and white hair shows up. And my mom was like, I think that's Bob Baffert. Or someone said that. And then I looked over and I was like, oh, man, that is Bob Baffert, the man himself in the flesh. Um, no real entourage. It was just him and some other guy. They kind of left him alone, but I, I don't get starstruck much, but I was a little starstruck to be honest. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, that's, that's the man, the myth, the legend. So, uh, uh, I would say since Al Davis passed away, I think Bob Baffert is officially the ice cream man. But you were telling me the other guy who was there, D Wayne Lucas is actually a more notable horse trainer, correct? Yes. Now that's the coach. Uh, so like he's, I mean, I don't know. So, yeah, I would think that he's probably – I wouldn't com- compare him to Nick Saban-like, but, like, yeah, like he's, like, kind of like the mm, the godfather of horse training. 
I mean, is there such if, if there's such a thing? But yes, like he's the original like trainer. Like he's he's trained some really good uh, horses, and uh, he actually uh, trained uh, my friend Donnie uh, bred his first Breeders' Cup uh, winner. So kind of, uh, but yeah, D Wayne Luke is uh, the coach. Yes, he's uh, he's the guru. A couple locals, we had a couple family friends there actually born and raised Hot Springs natives. So they came up and, you know, participated in little festivities or whatever and then went to the track with us. And he was, he and a couple people he knew were telling me the same thing. It's like, actually, Bafford's like famous or whatever, but this guy's way more like notable in the horse racing industry. But then when he's sitting over there, we're both in the jockeys club or whatever. And like we're on opposite sides of the room. And my mom decides she wants to go get a selfie with him. And my mom's like, She's not like, now, oh so my he's God, not I the most, fr- he's not the most, yeah, he's not the most friendliest like guy. So that's why I was, whenever you told me that you got a picture, I was like, wow, okay, go on with it, Miss, you know, Miss Rippy, you know? So my mom's like, not like, hey, one of those like schmucks that's like, I have to accost every celebrity. She almost does it as a bit now, like one of those, like, how funny would it be if I was that person to go ask him for a selfie or whatever? And I'm sure she was so harmless and dorky about it that he probably felt bad for him. Was like, I'm not going to like be mean to this lady is basically the the what I could gather from it. So she goes and gets a selfie with him. My middle brother, Davis, um, Smart ass himself, I would say. I don't know. You could say it runs in the family. Who's to say? Jury's still out on that one. He figures out that Bafford's there. He'd been off doing something over on the other side. And then he decides he wants a photo. So he comes back and he takes a second photo with my mom and Davis, which my, Davis immediately put it on Instagram with him and Bafford. And the only oh caption was just him in a syringe. Um, so- oh, my God. Dang. Wow. But he actually stopped and talked to them for a minute. I'm not a big, like, go talk to celebrities people. I pretty much leave them alone. I get it. Like, it's one of those things, like, you know, that guy doesn't want to talk to me. I don't know him type of thing. But they were sitting there. He actually talked to them for a couple minutes. That hey, why are you up here? Figured out they're from Mississippi. (laughs) Because my son got engaged last night or is getting engaged or something like that. And he looks at my brother and goes, don't do it. It's a mistake. And my mom was like, actually, he's not the one getting engaged. It's someone else over there. But uh, I guess through Osmo- uh, through third parties, uh, Mr. Baffer gave me some advice, which immediately I was like, all right, I got to go pull the ring off her finger and go to a pawn shop and load up on these second half races. Because if Bob Baffert says something, you got to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like, who you like in the next one, Bob? You know? <laughs> uh, no, it, it, you know, and what's funny is like, I don't know. I mean, like, he seems like, you know, I don't know. I get a real creepy vibe from him. But, um, you know, I I can get where he's really friendly to outsiders for sure. And I got to say, I don't know anything about horse racing. You've taught me some through the years. I've kind of picked up bits and pieces of it. I found it very fascinating. In that kind of marquee race, his horse won by a billion lengths. And honest to God, I got to say – I thought some of it was exaggerated. That thing looked like a different type of animal than any other horse that raced that day. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, there's a reason why. um, So uh, if you want Bob Bradford to train your horse, uh, how much do you think it costs a month? A month. I don't even really know a gauge, so I'm going to throw out a number like 15K. Oh, no, $5,000. So that's what a year, sixty k a year. I, I was way too high with fifteen k. I was probably thinking fifteen hundred in my head, five thousand a month. So that just that that just gets you the horse to him to where he can look at it. Now, when he looks at it, and if he's not super impressed with it, 
uh, you're not going to get the hands-on treatment that you're going to thinking that you're going to get for the $5,000 you're getting a month. So that's okay. I'll get a year without sure. taxes. How many horses do you figure he can train at one time? Like in a given uh, year? He trains probably whew, 300, 400, maybe, maybe probably three, probably 400 horses a, day, uh, a year. Okay. So I went conservative and I've got the little calculator up. Um, even if I went to three hundred, that's about eighteen million a year. Oh yeah, he makes lots of money for sure. That's but insane. I mean, if you want to win the Kentucky Derby, there's only one person you want to train a horse. That's for sure. I mean, and that's why that he, you know, that's why the Sheik is in his pocket, and you know, that's just you know. <laughs> if so he's got the Saudi you, backing. Yeah, if you've got Sheik money, you're good. You know, like if the Sheiks like you, I think you're in good company. I wonder if he's a big live guy. Oh, I, man, you know, like I said, I, I, um, I, I've, I've seen him multiple times at sales. And, you know, like I said, I just don't have the, the guts to be like, hey, Mr. Baffert, have you ever met anybody from Mississippi? And he's like, well, you know, actually, I met some people, some really nice people in Hot Springs. The, the Rippies, do you know them? I'm like, oh, yeah. But no, <laughs> I mean, like, I just, I can't come up with a conversation with Bob Baffert. Last thing on this before we get to the grill corner questions, what actually makes him so good at it? Look, at the I get it. He brush-ups with the rules, injections, and all that aside. Like, wh- how did he become what he become? Because I imagine – I mean, I get it. In every sort of venue and sport, right, there's people that are better at it than others. But, like, why is he the guy? How is he so much better at this than anyone else historically? Um, I mean, you know um... – I mean, yes, he, yes, he's a good horseman and, um, you know, um, (laughs) um, man, like I've, I've been told there, you know, uh, there's a guy that actually was the leading uh, owner at uh, hot springs for the last couple of years. He actually quit because of, uh, of the, of the cheating and everything going on in in racing. So you're you're trying to be nice, but he really does just cheat his balls off. I mean, Pretty much, you know, and whenever you're in the pocket of the stewards and, the, you know, and the and uh, the California Horsing Association and, uh, you know, just whenever you're kind of the face, I mean, you're going to get protected, you know. So there's uh, I mean, he, the guy's killed 74 horses in the last in, in the last 10 years. I mean, that's that's like like I was saying, if uh, Nick Saban or, some, you know, you know, whenever a coach, uh, whenever somebody, you know, passes on their 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 watch i mean the coach is banned for life right you know right. it's like the complete opposite with bath you know they, that they, makes protect, sense. They, they protect them you know and it is what it is and it's just you know you just gotta you just gotta roll with it but yes uh he, the the black the the light blue tinted glasses definitely gives you the uh he's a slime ball fit, uh feel that's for sure we're still firmly anti-Bob Baffert on this podcast. Him being nice to my mom does not change that. Um, I could have fought him if I'd have wanted to. Uh, not sure how that well that would have I mean, I, I should have screenshotted him. And I say, hey, you know my buddy wants to kick you in the shin, and he doesn't even know you, right? <laughs> I know. You could have just been like, watch watch your six over here, Bob. Like, you might have a horse that wins, but if you come back up here, you're going to get a knuckle sandwich. Um, let's get to the questions. we got a, quite a few of these, particularly on the message board. Thanks to all the folks out there. Um, at rebelgrove.com community who chimed in with some grill corner questions. Been a while since we've done one of these. It had to have been last summer. 
But we got the weather kind of slowly warming back up. Grill season, no better way to do it than stop by LBs and throw something awesome on the grill. So with that said, our first question kicking it off is going to be D Manning on the um, Rebel Grove message board. He says, using a big green egg, what is the best temperature to cook wings at? Um, you know, I'm a big fan of a uh, 200 to 225, um, low and slow on any sort of products. Um, actually, uh, I will try not to give Neil's uh, tip, Neil McCready's tip away, but um, the air fryer is the right is the way is the way to go. Air fryer um, wings are incredible. I've actually experienced these myself a few times. So yes, so smoke 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 it at like 200 degrees on a low, like try to get it at 200 degrees and do a low smoke. And then once you get that low smoke for about 30, 40 minutes, finish them off on the air fryer and get that crispy. It's uh, it's money every time. He's got a couple rapid fire ones for you. He asked multiple questions, which we do encourage and appreciate on here. Favorite marinade? Favorite what? Marinade. Oh, marinade? Man, I, I'm a Hoover's, Hoover guy. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I like Hoover sauce. Um, I'm. Try, I, I mean, I just try, I try not to use many marinades, um, you know, because I prefer the taste of a good pork or a good beef. But uh, if I do any marinade, it's going to be the Hoover sauce. Said, what's your favorite steak, ribeye, strip, or filet, or something else? Uh, I'm a big fan of the Wagyu Denver cut. It's the bottom flap of the chuck roll. Uh, I'm also a big fan of that tri-tip. You know, that's a really awesome piece that you can slice and feed a couple people or uh, you know, cut a cut a piece off and feed yourself, and then put it back in the refrigerator and warm it up the next day. Um, that ribeye cap is probably going to be one of my favorites, also. But uh, I'm not a big fillet guy. Just I, I, I like fat. I like flavor. Um, you gave me the try tip uh, middle of the pandemic one time. I was headed to what is now my future father in law's house. He's a big sous vide guy. We did the try tips, and it was absolutely delicious. I think I took a picture of that and sent it to you. It was absolutely terrific. I, I'm pretty sure that locked it up for you there, Rippy. I'm pretty sure that that doing that probably locked locked you up with the with the uh, fans. He loves the fact that I have a meat plug. He's too bashful to come in the store and identify himself. He just likes to be your average Joe Pink. Regular Joe Payne customer, but I do think he likes the idea that uh, I've got a go-to meat place there in town. So anything to score brownie points uh, with the old man-in-law. Um, all right, Cracklin asks. That's the next question we got. What's Greg's favorite way to cook a pork belly? Um, so on the pork belly, you know, the burnt ends is always the best route on on, on pork belly for me. Um, there's a lot of people that you know um, make their own bacon via pork. Uh, pork belly you know if you want to try to do um, your own bacon try um, you know get a whole uh, pork belly cut it into three pieces and just try three different flavor combos maybe do I don't know maybe a bourbon would be one, one good flavor I would do like a honey you know maybe a sweet something a, a, a sweet bacon and then uh, I couldn't I don't know what else would be another good bacon flavor um but no, just try to uh, you know figure out your uh, different types of flavors that you want to do with your bacon and you want to smoke your pork belly. But man, I'm a big fan of the burn ends. You know, just smoke it on directly and then cut it up in cubes and then put them in a pan and sauce them up and then wrap them up and then put them back on the smoker. Um, I'm a burn in guy. 
So you know just about everything when it comes to grilling, and I think this content segment works to some degree because I know nothing can, can chime in every now and again. I, like, what's the customer? Like, how do you eat a pork belly? I know I probably had one before, but like, is that anything from like a pulled pork sandwich to burn ends? Like you said, like how do you if you're grilling or cooking or whatever a pork belly? Like, what what's the most common way that is consumed? Bacon. So have you ever had bacon? Yeah. That that's what pork belly is. So he's just talking about making bacon. Yeah, he's making. Yeah, he's trying to either make bacon or he's he trying to he's trying to make a real uh, a cube piece of meat that's uh, that's low and slow that's got a lot of flavor and it's got see like whenever whenever you look at a piece of bacon you'll see that white and then you'll see the the pink you know you'll see you know that sort of thing like that's a whole you know piece uh, on the short on the own the pork belly. So that's what makes bacon is it, it bacon is not that perfect piece all the way through. There's a fatty piece. There's, you know, so, um, so yeah, that's what you got to uh, experiment with is, uh, your different flavor combos. So I don't know your thoughts on this one, but it was funny. My grandparents, when I was growing up on my father's side, they're, uh, from Nashville, live in Nashville. We used to go up to their house in the summer. They have a mountain house on, uh, they had a mountain house on Mont Eagle mountain, kind of by Swanee's campus. And growing up, <laughs> Like I was always a big bacon kid and like, I like bacon of all types. And I was like, damn, my grandparents bacon like tastes different than like most places. Other have like, I have bacon pretty much anywhere else. I wonder why that is. I like both of them, but like, why is this so different? And I don't remember what age I was, but all of a sudden I was in a conversation one time when I was a young lad, probably high school somewhere in there. And I came to the realization that those people had been feeding me turkey bacon the whole time. Should I arrest them at their old age or is that fair play? Well, I mean, maybe their uh, doctors, you know, said, hey, you know, you need to cut back on the bacon. And then maybe your you know, grandparents were like, well, I'm not going to cut back on my bacon. But, well, here's a substitute. So that's a little bit healthier substitute. But, no, I, I don't recommend turkey bacon. So the way I ate it when I was a kid, and I'm, I'm really going back deep into the memory bank, it was just super crispy. And looking back at it, it was almost like eating a bacon chip, which I guess would fall in line to like the healthier vegan style stuff. MC tries to feed me that crap all the time. I don't really get it. Is that kind of what that is? It's a healthier alternative. Is that what we're going for there? So, but yes, it is a healthy alternative, but it's also bacon is already cooked like product. Like it's already cooked. So, like, you're just trying to kind of warm it up. So, like, the best way to – for me, I mean, this is how I've always cooked bacon is I, I put it in the pan a little bit and just kind of sear it and then take it out and then finish it off in the oven to get it super crispy if I want super crispy. That's, okay. That's how, you, that's how you get bacon super crispy. Last bacon uh, note I got here on Bacon Corner, I've started uh, – I get coffee in the mornings, and I've started utilizing Dunkin'. Uh, they open one in Austin. No, boo, man. You gotta, you gotta stick with community, man. You gotta support the local, man. Forget so I like common ground. That's local, right? I don't know. I mean, I just, I always get that kolache at Community Donut because they're good people and they're not Dunkin' Donuts. Okay, so I don't usually do the donut at Dunkin' Donuts. I'm usually strictly there for the coffee, but I've started getting better about eating breakfast. And one time, I got their bacon bits or bites. I don't know what to call them, but they were they were like either lathered or marinated or I'm using the te- wrong term, but they were covered in something that was absolutely delicious. I have no idea what it is. We'll get it on this to look it up, but it was absolutely terrific. They have very good bacon. So just food for thought. Uh, out there. Dunkin' Donuts has good bacon. 
I'm not kidding. Maybe I'm just some you know uncultured swan, but I swear to God, it was absolutely terrific. It's called the Snack and Bacon, and it is – what do we got here? Ingredients? I don't know if I'm going to read the fine print on ingredients-wise, but whatever they that covered was like, it, uh, it like was terrific. Honey bourbon syrup. It was probably something like that where suckers like me was like, oh, extra flavor. This is awesome, when it in reality probably wasn't. But I uh, yeah, it I enjoyed like it. Processed, I've gotten it a couple of times since. Yeah, it was processed. Yeah, it's processed stuff. All right, go so to, our next go to the community and get you a kolache. Okay, I'll try that uh, in the morning. They're right next to each other, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, because that's like the best way to work, you know, help a local business out is put a, you know, big collaborant right across the street from it. Oh, I'm a local guy. I'll get the coffee and then I'll go over and get the donut. I love a nice donut every now and again over there. Oh, you need to try the ham and cheese croissant that they have. It is total fire. Oh, that sounds amazing. So our next question, a guy, uh, our guy LA pin five on the message board checking in. Uh, this is how astute our listeners are. We got a uh, multiple choice option here. All right. He's got two questions, but the first one is best. Obviously he, he knows that I went to MRA, so I, I need all the multiple choices I can get. And he limited it to A and B. So I'm sure he's handicapping this based on our MIS uh, high school education. It's best way to marinate a Wagyu ribeye, A, smothered in Heinz ketchup, or B, smothered in Heinz honey mustard. FYI, he adds, it's going to be rolled around in bacon bits post-smothering as is customary. God, I I would never. People put marinated in ketchup? Yeah, no, see, okay, all right, this is my thing, and this is Sorry, honey mustard, not mustard, important clarification. (laughs) This is just how I feel. If you're going to go and spend X amount of dollars on a really nice cut of, say, for example, Wagyu ribeye or Wagyu filet or anything like that, like, you're buying the the, to taste the beef. So, like, put salt and pepper on it and put a really good, thousand degrees on each side and give it a good sear and you know taste that good beef like i I just i I mean it's just tough to marinate a really nice cut of beef you know i I just i mean that's just how i feel so i don't know i i I don't know if i do ketchup or mustard but uh, i can is salt and pepper for is c is c salt and pepper an option there are no rules here. We can add it. Option C, salt and pepper. To hell with your Heinz sauce. Yeah, I, I mean, just, I mean, unless you just like to taste the sauce with your beef, you know, like, that's just how I feel about it. Like, I, I mean, you know, you're, you're buying a really nice cut of beef to taste that flavor of that, you know, that beef. But, you know, if you're wanting to, I, I would do that on a cheaper cut and just see what it tastes like, you know. That's how I would feel about it. I wouldn't want to waste a really nice cut uh Cut a beef on that. All right. So we got a, a second question that I think is kind of a piggyback um, on the first question. It's after you smother said meat in either A or B, which we just kicked out of there as non-option. So this is going to be an adventure. This guy is like, bacon God, I hate LBs. LBs is the worst place ever. Maybe he'll just come <laughs> to get enlightened. Maybe he'll show up with a notebook and notepad. Like, please teach me I, your I'm ways. all about it. And that's what I'm here. That's why I open up the stores, like to educate people. Like we... We want you to, you know, buy a really nice cut of beef and put salt and pepper on it and 
taste the reason why you're coming to Elvis. That's the why it's the best butcher shop in the world. You're not getting someone back there in Kroger, which we declared war on long ago with the snappy attitude, ready to just pick your meat and get the hell out of here. This is a, basically a boutique thing. I mean, you're kind of a head owner in some ways. If you don't have something, you'll go get it for someone, right? If you can. Yeah. Like I literally, I had a person literally was like, Hey, uh, can you get me whole duck? And I was like, well, I can get, a, I mean, I can get a whole case of ducks, so I can get you one. And, you know, so I got him a whole case of duck. And, you know, I had another customer the other day that wanted a, a bone-in leg of lamb. Ooh. Oh, we got a we got a lamb reference chiming in in a Uh-oh. second. I'm curious to get your thoughts. It actually wasn't even a question. It was just, a, it, was, it was a statement and a marketing tip. But, all right, so to finish this guy's question, though, I, we got a microwave ref- reference in here, so this guy he needs to be put on a government watch list. Who knows? We'll see. But I'm going to let him. Is microwaving a wagyu steak now? Here we go. Now, I know that's what this sounds crazy. Even I, who know nothing about meat, this guy's this guy's suspect. All right. So it says after you've done A and B and covered it in bacon pieces, I usually reverse sear prior to finishing in the microwave. How long is too long? Bourdain always said anything less than three minutes is criminal, but that might be generous. Pro tip, use the popcorn setting for that little extra crisp. So we're talking microwaving something for three minutes after you get a Wagyu steak. What? What is your, do you have a statement on this? I mean, I, I, for some strange reason, I think this is, this is somebody that I know that is literally like trying to, to like play. I mean, I think uh, this has got to be an episode of Punk right now. I think this is this is what's going on. No. <laughs> so you I think this is a troll question? You know, I watched uh, I watched a couple of news no, bloopers on YouTube the other night, and they kind of gave one of those birthday shout out things to a local news station. It was like huge anus and see more butts and stuff. You think we're getting played right now? I mean, like I mean, like I feel like there's the the picture of um of uh dr whatchamadoodle that made the the cup that the um, yeah oh what's his name yeah, johnny sin i feel like johnny, johnny sin's like sending in this question uh no <laughs> i just i mean i i try to stay clear of uh putting any sort of steak or any sort of nice cut in the microwave you know if you've got a a, a really nice grill if you've got a, a the best thing to do and this is what i recommend anything if you've got an awesome cast iron skillet like that is the best product to use to to cook a steak. Sear okay. it on high heat and finish it off in the oven. The cast iron is oven safe. You don't have to worry about it. And also, you don't have to worry about how many min- minutes or popcorn settings. Trust your meat thermometer. Your meat thermometer is not going to lie to you. You know, just that's the easiest way to cook beef. So uh, I just recommend a really nice uh, cast iron or a really nice grill, but uh, try to stay clear of the microwave on uh, on the on the Wagyu beef. Okay, so I think we've come to a determination. I've done some homework here. Uh, on the Rebel Grove thread, the reactions are a lot of laughing and one of those, like, wow, exasperated emojis. So I think you may have snuffed this out, which is a good thing we're friends because if I'd have had some rando meat guy on there, I'd have just been tossing him serious questions like, how long do you – Microwave. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying, like I said, I like, um, uh, it, it's all good, but yes, I tried my best to answer that as best as I could. Um, I think we're getting yeah. trolled. If we're not, I'd like to hear from this guy. If not, congrats to you. You, you got. Oh me. yeah, man. Uh, I mean, I like to put ketchup and mustard on my uh, uh, wagyu ribeye all the time. I, that should have been the telltale sign, but you know what? I'm a man of the people. I'm going to read the questions. I'm like Ron Burgundy. If you put it on the teleprompter, he will say it. Um. 
All right, so here's the la- rack of lambs uh, chiming in we got here. So a guy named Gumbo Dean on the board says, this is not even a uh, question. He just says, not enough people buy the rack of lamb ribs at LB. Those in the all-beef hot dogs are severely underrated. If anyone is interested, I can give a recipe slash way I cook the lamb ribs. Thoughts? Okay, so he is correct that uh, lamb is one of the underrated uh, things that we do have up there. I just got done making a lamb sausage um, that's really, actually really good. Um, As far as the lamb, um, a lot of people get nervous because they don't know how to cook it because it's a kind of a petite rack. You know, the best thing to do is kind of broil it in the oven, bake it and broil it in the oven. Or what you can do is you can cut it into two bone chops. Um, What I did one time was I did a kind of a Parmesan garlic, um kind of crust with it uh what i did was i seared the whole rack and kind of charred it that way it was still kind of rare in the middle i cut them into two bone chops and i put them on a pan and i did like a parmesan crust and some parmesan cheese and i just basically baked it in the oven for like 10 minutes and they they were awesome so um but yes um uh, lamb racks of lamb is uh something that people sleep on so I'm actually not ever I'm not positive I have ever had lamb. I got to be honest. I'm so I'm not a big I'm bad at cooking. I don't really cook at all. I'm not one of those dudes who only eats cheeseburgers and chicken nuggets. Although a couple of my friends would like to give me shit about that. I really will eat and like try anything. And I have luckily some culture friends. Uh, MC helps me out with this as well to where I will like eat other stuff and try things. But I'm not like that adventurous. It, lamb's a baby sheep, right? No, lamb is a lamb. You can okay. So why do those things look so very so? What now? It's just going off the rails. So lamb is just a lamb. That's not a baby anything. No, I think lamb is just a lamb. I, I'm pretty. Where are the sure. lamb farms out there? I feel like we never hear about that community. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure lamb is a lamb, and sheep is a sheep. What does lamb taste like? Um, it's kind of got a little gamey taste um it's kind of like maybe it's kind of in between if you could like take a bite of pork and take a bite of beef and chew it up at the same time maybe have that little flavor can that can that can that be understandable hold on stop the presses google agrees with me google says lamb is in fact a baby sheep okay so okay all right well i mean I'm usually not dealing with whole animals. I I, I don't deal with whole animals. <laughs> so, they don't show, show up live to your uh, shop? No, we don't, you know, shave off some sheep and be like, oh, we've got a lamb now. Um, golly, man. So can we, you eat We sheep? are really showing our uh, private school edu- education uh, after this. Can you eat? Oh, mutton is sheep. I thought, okay, all right. You learn something new every day. This is just educating the masses here. I don't know. What do you do? You ever eat mutton? What's what's that like? Is mutton sheep? It says mutton is sheep, but in your mind, it might be just an older lamb. Like, what's the difference in your mind between lamb and mutton, or do you think it was the same thing? I mean, I'm thinking like the whole time I've been thinking lamb is like Mary had a little lamb, lamb, like the little little small furry little fella. Yeah, sheep's are furry too. We'll have to get back with our. Uh, I don't know. We need an animal. Yeah, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to tighten up on our lamb. I, I mean, I, I know I get. I get lamb stew meat, and I get racks of lamb. I get leg of lamb. I get boneless leg of lamb. 
I just got to find out what, what the little guy looks like then. Sheesh. If we have anyone out there that's really into lamb and cheat, please chime in and clarify for us. Um, let's see. We got Delta Beta 1865 checking in. I don't know, <laughs> know what went into that name. But uh, he said, I thought I heard on the pod a while back LBs was coming to Glugstat. We've addressed this before. He said, is this still happening? It's, uh, it's it would say, on hold TBA. Yeah, I, I'm still working on it. We're still actually, you know, honestly, uh, I hate to, you know, get anybody excited about anything whenever it comes to LBs other than, you know, in Oxford. But we, I think our next move might be Tupelo, Mississippi. Ooh. I just, the only way I can handle it to be in two places at one time is just not be two hours, two and a half hours away from it. So um, I don't, you know, obviously, you know that I've hired Houston um, and um, he's a Tupelo uh, alumni. So um, hopefully we can te- teach Houston the uh, the ways of the Jedi and uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can open up one up in Tupelo. So that's what leads me to my next question is, well, what was funny was a couple weeks back, so back in December, I was at Hayden Buckley's wedding, and I'm sitting there at the reception. I think I was, like, standing by the bar getting a drink or something, and uh, I met Houston Buckley. I Honestly, I got to say, full disclosure, I didn't know at the time that Hayden had a brother. Um, I guess that's something I probably should have known, but he's also, he mentioned he was a regular podcast listener, which just, like, made my entire night. I was literally just on cloud nine after he said that, but ever since, I've enjoyed getting to know him. And I've talked to him a little bit. We text back and forth, I'd say, semi-frequently. And then he told me the other day he was heading into work. And I was like, where are you at? He's like, I'm actually working for Greg at LB's right now. And I was like, this is just worlds colliding. How long did it take you to figure out that his brother was a PGA Tour player? Uh, Maybe like two weeks, two and a half weeks. I mean, it was all – I mean, golly. And I'm a golfer. You know, like I play golf. It's not like, you know – man, I I mean, anyway. But, yeah, so – uh, I mean, like, yeah, I I didn't know, and uh, he's you know super nice guy. Um, and I met Houston, I met Hay- Hayden at the basketball game, and he's a super nice guy too. And uh, yeah, just uh, uh, excited excited for to have Houston on board. Uh, he's uh, learning a lot, and uh, he's he's good with customers, and he's a good kid. So uh, we're gonna see what happens. So, but yes, uh. We're gonna to try to put the Madison on the back burner, and we got we've got you know Tupelo on the front burner right now. I think he uh, they're both as good as they come. Both Hayden and Houston, super nice guy, a Houston man of many talents. Good photographer. He's into biking, just a real Renaissance man. So shout out to Houston Buckley out there if you are listening to this episode. That'll test his loyalty. Um, but I thought that was funny where it's like, yeah, Greg didn't actually know that me and Hayden were related for a couple of weeks. So I was like, that is perfect. But, yeah. uh, I mean, I, felt so bad. I mean, uh, did, uh, I, did you get to see the video of, uh, at Scottsdale on, on the 16th? Love that. That's what makes the uh, Hayden in particular, like obviously, cause he was in the video, such as uh, just about as cut a good cut from the cloth as they come. He sticks it to what, like three feet on 16 on either Saturday or Sunday at Scottsdale crowds going nuts. And the PJ tour puts out the highlight of him sticking it to three feet. I wasn't watching this round. I think that was Super Bowl Sunday. I was flying back from Dallas and I see Hayden tweet out, like show the putt. And I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? And Hayden had missed like the three foot putt, um, which, you know, happens to everyone at every level of golf. But that was just hilarious where he was like, they showed the highlight of him sticking it to two feet. 
And he was like, show the putt. And so the PGA Tour account replied and just showed him horseshoeing out of two and a half, two and a half yeah. off his and, heart. And you know, what's funny is I think that he, like, he got a lot of fans out of that because, I mean, you know, um, trust me, um, golf is the most humbling game of, of it all. And uh, to, uh, you know, be on that stage with, uh, you know, with the crowd the way that is on that hole and, you know, to uh, to step up there and stick it, you know, a foot and then just, you know, own it that you just, you know, straight up just missed a one footer. I mean, it is what it is and uh, shows a lot of character. And he's a, he's a super nice guy and uh, trying to get, trying to weasel a little LB's meat market sticker on the bottom of that bag. So uh, we'll see what we can do on that. Yeah. Shocking. If you act like a normal, relatable human, people actually like that. There's some PGA tour players that could take some lessons from that, particularly some live guys. But uh, that's the great thing about Hayden is like, I don't think he knows any other way to act. Like, you know what I mean? He's like the most uh, down to earth professional athlete I've ever. Oh heard. yeah. And that's another thing what Houston say. He's like, man, it's so cool. It's like um, when he was watching the Sony open and uh, what is shoot 64 on Saturday or something like that. Oh yeah. And, almost uh, won the sucker. Yeah, and uh, Houston's like, what's so great is, like, I'm sitting here watching my little little brother uh, on TV, and, you know, he used to shit his pants, like, all the time, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and it's just, like, stuff like that. And it's just, and he's like, man, you know, honestly, Hayden's just a normal dude, you know? He, you know, he's just, but he's, uh, he's, he's on the, uh, the fantasy golf team permanently for the rest of the year. Love that. All right, so we got to keep it moving here. You know, half of these got this message board thread. We got a lot of questions, but half of them just turned into compliments on the product. Uh, we got an Independence Bowl mainstay, is this guy's name, uh, chiming in that says, the all-beef hot dogs are top-notch. So I got to ask, I'll turn this into a question myself. I love hot dogs. I know people, you got people out there that do the whole, like, do you know what those are made out of? But, like, buddy, I don't give a shit. They taste awesome. They're great. But when he says all beef hot dogs, I'm guessing that means they're not like scraps. Like what's the difference in your hot dogs that you sell and like obviously like your ballpark dog? So this is an all natural product. So this is no like um, innards. Okay. (laughs) Basically what you would make your kind of run of the mill hot dog out of essentially. Yeah, I mean, like, I've got a friend that his six-year-old son can tell me the difference between Oscar Meyer that he throws at his dad and says he wants that LB's hot dog. So, Love that. I mean, like, if if a six-year-old can figure it out, you can tell that. I mean, and that's, I mean, and that bounces back to LB's and the whole product and the reason why we're open. You know, like, we, we want you to come in and be able to get an awesome steak and, you know, be able to go home and sit down on your back porch and, you know, enjoy yourself you know so that's kind of one of the main reasons why we're open and that's why we're going to continue to stay open regardless of uh you know what what uh what uh tools get thrown at us amen to that i we got a guy named unconfirmed source check it in here he asks can you get him to do a quick beginner smoker session easy recipes and things to cook to get the hang of it i have a nice smoker but i get intimidated for whatever reason yeah, well, I mean, that's another thing is, like, you got to get a good meat thermometer, and you've got to – I mean, look, I, I'm not going to sit here and shy away with this this statement. Like, I did not grow up in a, in a meat market. I'm like, my grandfather did not butcher animals, and I didn't sit there in the corner and be like, oh, I'm going to be just like him, and I'm going to take, you know, cleavers and, you know, split, you know, haul. Like, no, I mean, I've learned everything off of YouTube. 
Like, don't be ashamed of anything. Like, that rack of lamb, like, look up a rack of lamb and, like, most of the world is going to be ADD. I'm ADD. I have no problems with saying I'm ADD, but I've, I learn whenever I can see something, hear somebody talking it, and that way you can get a better feel for it whenever you do get that rack of lamb and you feel comfortable with it. So I, I'm just a big believer in watching something and seeing something and before doing it, but that's how I, I would recommend anything on any sort of low smoking or any sort of cooking instructions or help, but try to find something that you can uh, master it quick. You know, wings, try wings, just try to master wings, smoking wings. Whenever you get done mastering wings, maybe go to, maybe go to a pork tenderloin or pork loin or something like that, you know, but do brisket last. I would do brisket last. Brisket's going to be the okay. hardest thing, but you know, it's, not something that you can just wave a magic wand and it you know per- turns out perfect so i would just start out with mastering certain things wings um you know pork loins um you know stuff like that that you can get used and then once you uh you know uh feel comfortable with buying that whole brisket get that whole brisket great advice there youtube really is a hell of an invention i played in a golf tournament a couple years back with a guy who is a stick. I think he was playing as like a two handicap and he kind of had like a little bit of a funky swing. And we just got to talking and I was like, you know, how'd you, how'd you get into golf? He's like, dude, I'm like 36. I got into golf at 27, never had a lesson. I literally taught myself how to play on YouTube. And this guy's just pushing it out there like 290. I think he shot like 71. And I was like, this is unbelievable. This guy's just like a self-taught, essentially scratch golfer off YouTube. And to your point, we had another comment chime in off that and just said a lot of really good YouTube channels out there that will take you through every step of the way in response to the guy's question regarding the uh, tutorial. So YouTube. Yeah, and another thing with, 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 uh, with certain things is like, with me, I'm left-handed, so it helped out tremendously whenever I was 12 years old and, you know, got thrown to the uh, the driving range and said, hey, figure it out, you know, and I could see right-handed people, you know, swinging, and I could try to mimic, you know, their moves and stuff like that. So, um, but no, it definitely helps whenever you can see somebody that is really good at their job, you know, doing it, so. Uh, it definitely helps to learn from the best. And there's a lot of people on YouTube that know what's going on. Amen to that. Um, I was left-handed too growing up. I didn't know. Did we know we were both left-handed? Is this just now a revelation after three years? Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, but no, I play every sport left-handed. I eat and write right-handed. So I'm really weird. I do everything left-handed. You could chop off my right arm and it wouldn't be that big of a deal other than like driving and that whole thing. It was uh, quite the wild experience growing up. All right, so we got, let's see, we got another question from Ghost of Weir on the message board. Easiest slash best option for trying my first smoke on a large green egg? Yeah, I would like to said, think, I would think wings are going to be your best thing, best bet to, you know, to master on, on the smoker. Um Pork tenderloins really take uh, not a long time. You know, don't go for that brisket. Try that tri-tip. Go if your local butcher, if you if and we're. I mean, what's we're called now? Uh, wait. What do you mean? It and weird W E I R. Isn't that uh, a, a town, a, a school that got closed down, and and, and now it's uh, a new t- another school. It could be. Uh, we're Mississippi. The only thing I know about that, isn't that where like Roy Oswalt the pitcher's from? We're just pulling out all the trivia here. Golly, man, we need to go. We need to go to bed. 
<laughs> so wings you're saying <laughs> no, is the I easiest thing? Wing, yeah, I would just say, you know, master wings first and then and then venture out to stuff like that. But if your local butcher in Weir, Mississippi has a tri-tip, I would go after that tri-tip because I love a good tri-tip. All righty. We got Texas via Tennessee Rebel chiming in here. Said, what are Greg's thoughts on, well, what are your thoughts on a flat iron steak and prepping a flat iron steak? So the flat iron um, and flank are going to be two different ones. The flat iron is uh, is very similar to like the tri-tip. It's a very, you know, a, a lean piece of meat that you kind of, um, you want to score it. Um, I would like, man, how how awesome was that sous vide and how easy was it whenever you had to deal with that? Too easy. Yeah, I mean, like, so. Um, I mean, if, if you, if you have cooking problems and you, and you don't, you know, trust your smoker or you don't trust temperatures or anything like that, just go ahead and get your sous vide, get your vacuum sealer machine, literally put it, put your meat in water, set the temperature and then just, you know, you know, cook it like that. And that way you don't have to worry about it and you never overcook or undercook meats at all. So, um, but yeah, I would recommend, you know, that flat iron and, and some, uh, and a sous vide. Okay, good advice there. Um, we've got, let's see, what about prepping it? What about that part? Is there any art to the prepping it? I've, I've missed the second part of that. It just depends on the on what you're trying to get accomplished. Like, I, I think the flank, the, the flat iron steak is more of like a, a Mexican style. So maybe do like a chimichurri sauce. Maybe like um, put it in that sous vide and kind of, cook it to about 115 to 120 degrees and then slice it and then put some sauce on top of it. And then, you know, maybe just eat, eat off the cutting board is what I like to do. There we go. Okay. Uh, go rebels chime in here, ask you what's the best lump of coal to use for a big green egg. Um, it just depends on what flavor combo you're kind of looking for. I mean, um, you know, with the fruit, you kind of want to do either apple wood or cherry wood or anything like that. Mesquite is a real hard wood. It's a very smoky wood. Um, I just do basic hickory. Uh, it's very versatile. It goes on, you know, it's going to give you the best uh, of, of all worlds. So I just, I know for sure that, um, I know that hickory uh, is, is solid, but uh, I know that mesquite is very smoky, but I just don't like really, really smoky, you know, uh, smoke on my meat. I like light smoke on my meat. Okay. His second question was also advice on how to gr get the grill hot. Okay. Uh, capital H-O-T here, just for emphasis. He says it always spikes after I put my meat on the grill. So, um, you know, you try not to lift it or anything like that, because as soon as you lift it, you're, li you're li literally losing all the heat that you've developed in that salt in with leaving that top on. So um, that's why I always, whenever I, uh, I mean, I try to do this every time when I cook a steak is I try to get it to either over 500 to 600 degrees. And once it's consistently there and it's still rising, you're good. Lift it, put the steak on immediately, close it and put a timer four minutes, three minutes, whatever minutes that you're, you know, trying to get accomplished. If it's sous vide and it's already been cooking at 115 degrees, you know, you really only want to sear it for two or three minutes, you know, and just get a really good crust on it. So 
um, you know, meat thermometers is going to be your best bet on stuff like that. Okay. Uh, winding down the questions here, uh, we got another one. Kenosha Reb chiming in that says, is he a sous vide fan? Also, if so, what are his favorite things to sous vide? I think we established you were pro sous vide. So what do you like to sous vide? Yeah, I mean, like you were saying, that tri-tip that you took to the in-laws for the first time, that's that's a really awesome cut because it's a larger cut. You can you can feed a lot of people. Um, you know, what I recommend sous vide in is chicken, you know, because a lot of people don't ch- uh, cook chicken properly, and a lot of people overcook chicken. And, you know, overcooked chicken really kind of doesn't, you know, taste really good, so... Um, I would, you know, CV chicken breast. We vacuum seal everything at LV's. So you literally can just go in the freezer and there'll be chicken breasts. There'll be pork chops. There'll be whatever. They're vacuum sealed, ready to go. You don't have to thaw that out. Throw it straight into the sous vide water, put, set your temperature and get comfortable with whatever temperature you like and whatever, how long it takes you to, you know, to char or grill on, you know, each side. And, you know, like I said, trust your meat thermometer on stuff like that. But that sous vide is really easy. But try chicken breast in that sous vide. It's awesome. Last one on the message board. I think we got one or two to get to on Twitter like uh, after this. But um, so this is similar to what you was asked before, but there's a little bit different. So I'm going to ask it. Orange Beach Reb asked you, what is your favorite lump of charcoal? Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm going to go. I, I'm, I'm a hickory guy. So I just like like I'm a light smoke guy. Um, you know, I, I, I've had a lot of people prefer that, you know, that mesquite, but I, I don't like a lot of hard smoke on my meat. So, uh, I'm going to go with uh hickory. So you got like, what, uh, what are the variety of flavors out there? I'm mostly just curious myself is like, you mentioned like the hard smoke, how crazy can you get in terms of like strands or lump or whatever you want to call it a charcoal? Well, it's just, well, I mean, there's a lot of different, uh, I mean, the lump is, um, is what they have uh, for um, Traegers and stuff. So, like the actual wood is uh, is what I use for my smoker. Um, I, I, I mean, think of all the different trees out there, Rippy. I mean, you know, there's, true. there's oak trees, there's you know hickory trees, there's pecan trees, there's apple trees, there's you know cherry trees. So. Um, you know, uh, I'm a big pecan fan. It just depends on what I, what meat I'm smoking. Um, if I'm doing something like, I don't know, if I'm doing something like a pork chop, I think, you know, something like a uh, a pecan would be a, a really nice um, um, smoke to go on a pork chop. Maybe with a, maybe with like a sweeter barbecue sauce. I don't know. Okay. We got a one, we got a one more question to get to here wrapping it up i think it's via twitter here we go for people yeah there we go all right for people practicing lint what are some good fish slash shellfish grilling suggestions for fridays so um what i what i do for coach bianco uh for uh for lint is i always smoke a piece of salmon uh i do a sweet potato and i do some asparagus um, we are getting a lot of fresh fish tomorrow. Knowing that, um, the, what I recommend, man, there's so many, I mean, like those, uh, those, uh, scallops with some Parmesan cheese and some butter and some garlic. I mean, that's a really good, easy thing to eat. Um, I'm getting some shrimp. 
you can just, you know, literally just, you know, peel some shrimp and throw it, you know, saute it with some butter and garlic and some white wine or something like that. Uh, the fish selection, um, I'm getting a big old 20 pound chunk of tuna. So if you want to, you know, do some sushi tuna, you can do that. But uh, I recommend stuff like the redfish, snapper, grouper, uh, uh, you know, just really good golf fish. That's what I recommend as far as fish. So this is going to make me sound dumb. You mentioned you helped Coach Bianco out during Lynn. He's very Catholic. I know Lynn is not strictly a Catholic thing, but it seemed like predominantly a Catholic thing. So that's no meat, but you can cheat with fish on Friday. Do I have this? Do I have the understanding of this correct? So whenever you start seeing uh, commercials for the fillet of fish and you know fish and the when the halibut from Wendy's and stuff like that, that means uh, Ash Wednesday, Wednesday is around the corner. So they are letting all the people know that you can come get a fish sandwich at Wendy's. So, yes, that's, okay. uh, what's, that's what's going on with that. Interesting. Okay, well, that wraps it up for the Grill Corner questions. Thanks for everyone who participated. We'll do a couple more of these, obviously, throughout the spring and the summer. Appreciate the uh, participation, particularly on the message board. Before I let you go, though, um, horse racing, kind of give me your own por- personal Horse racing update. You had a horse win last weekend that you texted me. How's everything going? This seems like yeah. be a gear up to prime horse season. What we got on the docket in the next few weeks and months? So that was our first homebred. So a homebred is a, you know, is a, is a horse that you personally, you know, uh, bred and raised and everything like that. So it was a pretty, pretty kind of monumental, um, uh, accomplishment for my for the little syndicate that I'm in and uh it's really cool because um you know man there's a, it, it takes a lot to get these uh horses you know up and going and you know not always it works out and sometimes it does but uh voodoo mama juju <laughs> well, I did not name <laughs> I did not name the horse voodoo mama juju but um so anyway but yeah um, it was kind of special. That was a really cool monumental thing for us. Um, we are actually have, I'm actually having a horse running in about, uh, in about 30 minutes at Charlestown, uh, remembering Wilbur. Um, uh, but no, the horses are going great. I'm going to Ocala in March and, uh, just, man, I'm just going to go down there and hang out and enjoy myself and get away. And, you know, cause I, I'm assuming this baseball season is going to be a pretty good one. Uh, we got some pretty, we got some sticks and uh I'm I'm excited about uh this season. They uh that was a lot I'll send you off with this. That was I wrote a newsletter on Tuesday evening, I sent out late Tuesday night. Most people probably read it on Wednesday if they are subscribers. Um, but one of the things I kind of mentioned at the end, it's kind of like a little throwaway segment. I was halfway joking. Uh this team is not going to be a team where you're like, who are these pipsqueaks getting off the bus? They have some large human beings on this team. They have a literal SEC defensive lineman getting at bats at DH. Kemp Alderman, some of the newcomers are just massive human beings. Have you had to up the dosage when you feed these fellas? Well, uh, funny you say that is they've got this terrible NCAA rule that I can't feed post-game meals until 6.30 games. So I've what? had – yeah, that's – yeah, that's one of those uh, genius. Glad they're out there protecting people. the game. Yeah, they're protecting the game. That, yeah. So so what the NCAA thinks is they can go to class on Friday, they can get all their school done, and then show up at the field at 1 o'clock, uh, maybe eat a snack or whatever, whatnot, play a game, and then get in their car and 
feed themselves and do their homework and then do the same thing the next day. So, so yeah, I don't know why it's, we've been dealing with the rule forever and, but I'm feeding Maryland. Well, I fed Delaware, uh, Thursday and Friday. And then, uh, I fed Arkansas state who, uh, Henry Lartigue was definitely uh, in on that. That's for sure. Um, that's, that's probably uh, the Arkansas State guy's first phone call was, uh, hey, call Greg and tell him I want four chicken bacon ranches. Lartigue is the last name. <laughs> Do you um, think that if no, you, like feeding Delaware, like were you like, I'm going to feed you guys chicken to psych them out? No, 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 I did not. I did not. I did not feed them. Well, well, they asked me about what Rotel chicken spaghetti is. And I told them it's very Southern and it's very cheesy. So um, they they liked it. So I didn't know what to feed them. I like I just got off the phone. And, you know, that's another thing that, um, you know, I know that we we, there's, you know, we we lost the the fresh meat commercial. And, um, you know, I I try not to think about it because it's, you know, kind of tears of my soul a little bit but um that was what the one of the uh the maryland guy said he goes oh this is my second time in oxford and you know what i remember y- uh y'all's fresh meat for- and i'm sitting here i'm like oh my god you know it just tears at your soul but you know that was a great commercial and you know obviously it impacted the the guy from maryland enough to remember it so uh anyway but yeah i'm feeding maryland tomorrow we're gonna do spaghetti dinners for them uh they're gonna do he, uh, chicken Alfredo, and we're going to do that ribeye sausage spaghetti for them. And then um, Friday for lunch, they're going to have a pulled pork buffet and grilled chicken and uh, mac and cheese. So, yeah, it's it's funny. Like I uh, had a guy come up and say, man, when are you going to do plate lunches again? I go, well, if you play baseball, you'll be able to get uh, LB's food. So uh, until you're on the baseball team, I, I, I can't help you out. Love that. Uh, two things I gathered from that, or one thing mainly, uh, is uh, Delaware baseball confirmed cannibals. They just like to eat their own hens, chickens. I don't know. We'll have to investigate that further. Yeah, we're going to have to uh, call the NCAA on that. He is LB's Greg, the Meat Sharp Jones. I appreciate the time. As always, always enjoy doing these. I'll stop by the store soon. Grab a beer at the library, but we'll do another one of these uh, here real soon, man. I appreciate the time. As always, till next time. All right. That was our man, LB's Greg. Hopefully this was a nice ushering into the weekend for you. Y'all have a safe and happy weekend. Thanks for listening to the show. As always, I do appreciate it. And Colin and I will be back on Sunday to recap Ole Miss's weekend in Minnesota, where they're playing in a domed stadium so who knows if tarps will be an issue still up in the air i would think not considering they're indoors but hey if you go off of lane burrow's logic a tarp could be an issue in an indoor stadium that's the last i'm going to say on it y'all have a wonderful weekend we'll catch you on sunday